Well, good morning, everyone. All right. Well, good morning. It's so good to have you here this morning. For those of you that are here and those of you that are joining us by live stream, uh, just a couple of announcements. Uh, I'm not going to be able to go over a lot of the announcements. So what I'll encourage you to do is this. If you go to our website, uh, thechapelnj.org, uh, you can get a lot of the announcements of things that are going on here at the church. Uh, I would encourage you to do that. If you don't have our app as well, um, if you go to the website, right on the resource folder, there's a whole section on uh, the app. The app is great. It takes you to the website. You could prayer request in there as well. Announcements, and if you're part of groups that are on the website as well, you will be able to get information and connected there. And then finally, if you're not on the church mailing list, I would encourage you to go out to the Welcome Center, put your name on the church um, email list. Emails go out several times a week with announcements, prayer requests, and updates. Those are the ways that you will probably get as much information from our church website, app, or the church email list. So those would be the places I would encourage you to go. Um, I do have one uh, pressing uh, announcement this morning. Jim Ash is uh, having some complications this morning. And so uh, Lisa sent uh, information this morning that they're waiting on his doctor and they're trying to figure out next steps. So he went through the surgery well, uh, but he's having some complications. So we're going to be praying uh, for him specifically today. And uh, one, uh, one announcement I do want to share is that Grief Share this week is beginning their, they're kicking off next week, but this week on Tuesday, they're going to be doing their loss of a spouse uh, group. That will be here at the church on the 22nd at 7 p.m. And then they're going to kick off their 13-week study on the 29th the following week. So you would want to keep that in mind. Let me read this psalm and then we'll go to prayer this morning. Uh, psalm 145. Uh, you know, this whole series that we're starting in the book of Ruth is all about the uh, sovereignty of God and his work in our lives even when we can't see it. I want you to think about that as we look at this passage from Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and I bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They will speak of the might and of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, this morning I, I want to praise you. And honor you because you are our God and our King. Lord, today as we pray, as we sing, as we hear your word preached, and as we see and take the communion table, Father, I pray that we would bless your son's name forever and ever and ever, Lord. Lord, I pray that your name would be heavy on our lips and we would sing, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Father, remind us of all the good things that you give us in the midst of the struggles and the trials and the troubles that we have. Lord, remind us of who you are. Lord, this morning we pray for our brother Jim 
Uh, Lord, I, I praise you for the fact that um, they found the struggle that he was having and they were able to go into surgery uh, this week. And Father, I thank you that he came out of the surgery well, but now, Father, he is struggling. And Lord, uh, the doctors need to get to the hospital to try to figure out next steps, and they need wisdom. And I pray for Lisa, Father, as she's there to him to support him, Lord. I pray for him as, as he may be feeling some level of fear or insecurity, Lord. I pray that you would remind him that you are the God that is in absolute and total control. Lord, I pray for John Whitehead. Thank you so much for the surgery that he went through this week. I pray for his recovery and recuperation, Lord. Lord, we continue to pray for Diana, Kelly, and Victor, Father. And Father, I thank you for the fact that Diana continues to serve. But Father, Lord, I pray for her as she is struggling as well. Pray that you would give wisdom to her doctors and wisdom to the family. Father, I pray that you would touch them in strong and mighty ways. Same thing for Gary, Father, with his continued struggle with his multiple myeloma, Father. Thank you so much for the recovery of Dave Mercer and Tom, but we pray for them as they continue to build their strength and continue to grow. Lord, I pray for Greta, who's going to be having bilateral knee surgery. Father, I pray that you would uh, be with her and wisdom for the doctors. I pray for quick healing for her. Father, I pray for Julia's granddaughter, Layla. Thank you for the good news that we heard this week. Pray that you continue to bless her in that way. And for Patricia's grandmother, Lord, uh, Benita, as she's lost a, spouse, lost a spouse, and we've had others in this congregation that have lost spouses as well, uh, comfort her during this time, also with her health issues that she's struggling with. Lord, I just want to praise you for the fact that we are living in a country where there is a relative level of peace. Even with the breakdown of our society, I thank you for the fact that we can come and worship you. Think of our brothers and sisters in countries like Ukraine right now, Lord, that, that are really struggling. And I pray that you would remind them that even as war is happening around them, that you're the God that's with them. Pray for my brother Doug today as he brings the word. Our Father, as we continue in this series, teach us about yourself through Ruth's life. And as we take the communion table this morning, Father, remind us of what it costs to bring us to faith in your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. everybody would you sing about our only king forever he is unmatched in all wisdom in love and in justice let's sing our god and firm foundation our god and firm foundation our rock the only solid ground the nations rise and fall kingdoms once strong kingdoms once strong now shaken we trust forever in your name for the name of jesus we trust the name we trust the name of jesus you 
This life to declare. This life to declare. All your promises. My soul now to stand. So what can I say? So what can I say? What can I do?
Yes, God, this morning we give you the praise. We give you the glory. We give you the honor. What can I say? What can we say this morning, Lord, in light of these truths? What can we say? But only thing we can say is we offer our hearts to you this morning, Lord. Lord, there are those of us here who have been Christians for years and years. We offer our hearts to you. And there are those, Lord, who are here for the first time or understanding this for the first time. Lord, we ask that they would also offer their hearts to you. What can we say when we stand face to face with the only king forever who is unmatched in love, in justice, and in grace? Unmatched, no other king on this planet that has existed or will exist can match your love, your mercy, your grace, your kindness to us. It is a free gift, God, that you give to us by the death of your son, by putting yourself on the cross, taking our sins, my shame upon your shoulders so that I can walk free. It is an unbelievable, incredible gift. So what can we say? The only thing we can say, Lord, is we offer our hearts to you. That's it. We offer our hearts to you this morning, God. Use us as you will for your glory and your honor. God, we thank you that Pastor Doug has offered his heart to you. And we thank you that he's offering his heart to us this morning in the hearing of your word and the preaching of your word, Lord. We ask that as Doug speaks this morning, that your heart would shine through Doug's heart, God, and that our hearts would be open, Lord, to what you have to say to us today. We thank you for this time of worship. We give you all the glory, all the praise, all the honor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. So, well... The children can be dismissed for junior church, ages five up through third grade. You can be dismissed at this time. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Ruth chapter two. We'll be looking at the whole chapter in our time together this morning. Um, just one of the things I wanted to say again, I know we do this often, but probably never enough. I really want to praise God for the worship team that he's given us. Yeah. So we just, they work really hard not to make it about them, but to lead us into the presence of God. And for that, we are very thankful. Um, one other quick announcement. We are starting a new Sunday school series next week uh, for the adults. It's entitled Jesus the Storyteller. So we'll be looking at the parables of Christ, and we would love to have you come out and join us for that. We meet in the classroom right back there. So keep that in mind for next week. Fresh start if you'd like to jump in on that. I was thinking this week uh, about a couple events in my life that go way back. The first one was meeting my wife. She's not here right now, so I can say whatever I want. She's in junior church. So the school I went to, I had been there three years and had never seen Sherry. School was 6,000 students, pretty big. And um, I changed my major. She changed her major. We ended up in the same classroom, the right section at the right time. I saw her and the rest is history. <laughs> Chance? Coincidence or providence? My firstborn, Paul, was being born and it was, a, it was a frank breach birth, which basically means he was butt first. I don't know how else to say it, but that's, that's how that works with all those kind of complications. So it's your first. I mean, it's, it's all new for me. And my wife wanted to go through a midwife and 
I wanted to be in a hospital, so we had to find a hospital that accepted midwives, and we ended up one down in Philadelphia somewhere. So anyway, three weeks before her due date, she went down there, her water broke. She called me and she said, my water broke. It's going to happen now. And it was complete bedlam in my mind. And I, I didn't have a car. We only had one car. She had the car. So somebody took me down to there. And just as we hopped in the car, they put in a, an old CD disc, which if you're younger, you don't even know what I'm talking about. Okay. Pushed in that CD di disc. And the song that came up was exactly what I needed just in that moment to quiet my heart. Coincidence, no doubt. Luck or providence? Back in 1990, my mom passed away. She loved music. She's a great musician. You'd never know it hearing me sing, but it was true. And I remember she had gone into a coma and we were gathered around her bed. You know, you just, God, let her be at peace. You just, and once you know, we started singing her favorite song, It Is Well With My Soul. No joke. She came up out. She led us through the song. And she bowed her head back down at the end of the song. And we never had no, no more consciousness after that. But that was just lucky. It's just a coincidence. Or is it providence? I tell you, brothers and sisters in Christ, God is at work in your life, even when you don't see it. We come to a passage today when people just didn't see it to start with. Maybe you feel like Ruth or, or Naomi as we come to chapter 2. You know, I want you to hear the incredible story of divine serendipity, this surprise where you come to experience the incredible kindness of God. Let's, let's read the text. Kind of background here in verse, uh, verse 22. Um, oh, and yeah, as you know, as, as we come to the end of chapter 1, Jane preached, preached on this last week. And I don't know if you can read that real well, only to say in the bottom right section, you see where Moab is there on the map up there? Um, they had to travel about 60 miles up to the left. Could have gone a variety of different ways. We don't know exactly. But they had, they had to travel up there to Bethlehem. 60 miles for us. I hop in the car from Lancaster. I can do 60 miles out here, you know? No, no biggie. But not in the ancient world. That's days and days of travel. And they finally get to Bethlehem. And you know, as James said last night, Naomi said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Don't call me, her name means sweet. Call me Mara, bitter. And what we're going to find out in this chapter, is that she, this really is a bittersweet story, isn't it? Because that's what God does in people's lives. She's completely despondent at the end of chapter 1. Totally different by the end of chapter 2. A little bit of background. I love this. Before he even starts with this, uh, uh, an elderly widow and a younger widow. They're both widows. They're destitute. 
They apparently found a place to live, but they don't have money or anything to survive. And I love this. Notice how chapter 2, verse 1 begins. It begins with, with this, with, oh, it, it, two problems. Two problems as we open up. Let me mention this. The problem of little food for an older woman and a foreign woman. And the problem of no descendants for Naomi's family. But you know what? In a moment like this in chapter 2, Naomi is not thinking at all about descendants. You know what she's thinking about? We got to survive. We, we, we got to eat something. And it's going to be Ruth who's going to take the initiative in that moment. But the inspired storyteller, before you even get into the story itself, it's almost like he steps out of the story for just a moment. And he says... I got to give you some background for you as the reader. Um, Ruth doesn't know this. Naomi doesn't know this. But I want you to know this because God is God and he's up to something. Do you see? Look at how chapter 2 verse 1 begins. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. That, that's information for you. But Ruth didn't get up that day, that day saying, hey, it's time for us to find Boaz and to make things happen around here. Not at all. They merely wanted to survive. But the inspired storyteller says, I want to introduce this person to you because I'm up to something in, this person, in, in these people's lives. Does that make sense? And, and I would argue, whether you see it or not in your life, there are times in our life where we're just caught up in our story. And God is there overlooking the whole thing. And he's saying, oh, by the way, there's a couple pieces that are coming. You just haven't seen them yet. And that's what happens in this text. It starts out with... Uh, inciting incident in verse 2, which is very, very, very challenging. And I want you to think about this for a second. Think about the fact if you're Ruth, and we don't know exactly how old Ruth is. We know, you know, they've been in the land about 10, they were in Moab about 10 years. And was Ruth, what, 15 when she got married? So she, she's, she's probably in her 20s, maybe her young 20s. Here you are taken to a foreign land with people you don't know. You don't understand their, a lot of their cultural practices. They're different than you. And she's sitting around with Naomi, and I kind of get this vision of Naomi at the end of chapter one where she's just like, whatever. You know, she's just, she doesn't know what to do. And Ruth steps up to the plate. Look at chapter two, verse two. Look at what it says. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone who, in whose eyes I find favor. And I would love to know how Naomi replied, how she said it. I know what she said. I just don't know how she said it. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. Do you think she said, oh yeah, go ahead, my daughter. I wonder if she just was like, yeah, go ahead, my daughter. Whatever. 
So here you are, a young Moabite woman in a town that you've never been in before. Now it's harvest season, so it's probably about April, mid-April. It's going to run for about seven, eight weeks, okay? Um, So it's harvest season. And here you are, and what you want to do is you want to kind of go into the field and as, 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 well, let me see if I can find this here. Yeah, this is just an ancient, this is from Egypt, but it kind of gives you an idea that during the, the harvest seasons, what they would often do, often the men, and at least in this case, and it seems to be what's happening here too, the men would actually go and they would cut down uh, the stalks. And then often the women would come along and they would collect them and then later they would bundle them together into these sheaves, right? So that, that was just kind of the process. Well, there was a, there was a law in Leviticus... Uh, and you, you find it several places in Leviticus, uh, Leviticus 19, and again in Leviticus 23, where specifically during, during the harvest season, as you're doing this, leave some things along the way. Like, don't worry about the very edge of, 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 of your field. Leave that so that the poor and so that the foreigner can come and have something during the, during the harvest season. That makes sense, doesn't it? Well, Ruth is saying, I'm going to step out as a foreigner with people I don't know and try to get as much grain as I can. And Naomi's like, go for it. I don't know, whatever. What dangers would await her? We know from the text, from things that Boaz says, and Naomi says later, that could happen. That sometimes a woman could just be verbally assaulted. Sometimes physically assaulted. Or worse. You don't know who those guys are. And if the overseer is not around, who knows what might happen. And frankly, sometimes the overseer is thinking, what's that person doing here? That's for us. You see? Think, think of the, the challenge and the fear that Ruth would have had doing this. It was not easy. But somebody had to step up to the plate, and she has one prayer. Let me find favor in somebody's eyes. Maybe there'll just be one field out there where someone will say, all right, let her have the edges, whatever. That's all she wants. She's not asking for anything else. God, give me favor. So look at what happens next here. In these two major acts, the first one begins here in verse 3. Let me just read the text. So she went out. She entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. Now, there's some, some debate over this, whether she's even being a little bit pushy as to where she's actually going here because of some things that are said later, but, but maybe, maybe not. Here's, I'm reading the NIV. I don't know what you guys have in, in there, but my, my next sentence says this. As it turned out. Do you know what that says literally in the Hebrew? Her chance... Chanced. You say, well, that's a weird way of saying it. But it was an idiomatic expression for them to say, it was like 
luck or something. Was it, folks? No, but by putting it in there, you're going like, well, no, no way. That's the point. But it's as if, how could this possibly happen? So her chance chanced. She just happened upon, if you will. She was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who is from the clan of Elimelech. Did she know it? Nope. She's working. She's saying she's following. There's men, there's women. She's following along. They drop that. I'll grab that. I'll gra- that's, that's all she's doing. Look at verse 4. Just then, Boaz arrived. I was lucky. She just happened to come around upon the right place at the right time. Do you see? Because that's what God does. You're going along life. You can't put it all together. Maybe you're getting despondent. And God begins to do stuff that you could never orchestrate. But he could. And he inserts that into our lives, into our experience to remind us that he is there. So just at that time, and, and, and I, I don't know this for sure, when you hear Boaz talk after this, and he says, look, stay in this field, don't go anywhere else, um, I'll tell my guys to be nice to you and all that. I don't know this. Is it possible that Ruth was experiencing some of those things initially? Is, is Boaz being purely proactive or is he reacting and responding to something like, no, 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 you may have had some of the, don't go anywhere else. I, I wonder if her first experience wasn't completely positive even in this field. Look what he goes on to say. Just then, verse 4, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Yahweh, the, the covenant-keeping God, may he be with you. And, 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 and boy, may he bless you too. It tells me that Boaz was a man that was focused on Yahweh. He says this, Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, uh, who, who does that young woman belong to? So he was observant enough to look around and said, who's she? And, 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 and the uh, overseer replies, and his reply is kind of interesting. He uses the word Moabite twice in one sentence. She is the Moabite who came from Moab with Naomi. I don't want to overread that. I can't help him thinking like, she's a foreigner. Something like that. It seems that maybe, maybe he's being more, maybe, it, I don't know. I think he's being subtle, but something's going on there. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. And again, that wasn't exactly what Leviticus permitted, right? It was more along the outside. Okay, so is he saying she's kind of pushy? Maybe. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. 
So the guy says, look, she's one hard worker. She's a little bit pushy, but she's a foreigner. What does Boaz do? I love this. The guy who's got the connection with Yahweh, with the Lord. Boaz pursues Ruth. So Boaz says to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. How do you think that hit her? Could it be that she's already had a bad experience? Maybe some of the guys had made some lewd comments about her uh, there in the field. And, and that's why Boaz immediately when he comes and begins to talk to her, he says, Ruth, don't go anywhere else. Stay right here. You need to stay with my women as they're moving through. And I've already instructed the harvesters what they're supposed to do back toward you. These seem to be at least, if they're not correctives, then he's being proactive, okay? Something's going on there. Because Boaz knows what could happen even if it didn't happen yet. Fair enough? Look at what Ruth says. Verse 10. Oh, 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 one, I'm sorry, one other thing I want to mention. So much in here, so much, so much. Um, one other thing that hits me. Um, normally, you would expect the women to bring the water to the men. Right? And in this text, Boaz says, when that water's all collected and the guys are going around drinking, anytime you get thirsty, you go up and say, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And you drink that water. And then say, thank you. And you go back and do what you're doing. Ruth's going, wow. I had asked for favor. I never thought I was going to get this. Verse 10. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told about you, what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. So he knew the backstory. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people that you did not know before. Now look at this, verse 12, very important. May the Lord repay you for, for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You know what Boaz is telling her? This isn't happenstance. This isn't coincidence. This isn't luck. The God of Israel has taken you under his wings. A picture you find elsewhere in the Old Testament, like in Psalm 91, where God protects us and watches over us. Makes me think of that sad statement in the Gospels where Jesus says, how often I wanted to gather you together as a hen does her chicks, but you would not. How sad. Because God is a God who wants to protect. And Boaz says, whatever you see me doing, 
don't stop it with me because it's ultimately about him. He is the one who is protecting you with his own wings. She's just, she's completely taken back by that. But he's not done. Look what, he, look what continues to happen after that. She says, verse 13, May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant. Though I do not have the standing of one of your own servants. Boaz, I was scared to death when I came here this morning. I didn't know what people were going to say. And frankly, it may be, my first experience wasn't so good. But you have shown me complete kindness. And what I'm hearing from you is that it's not even you, it's God working through you. And I want to thank you for that because I'm not even a servant of yours. I'm a widow foreigner and you've embraced me. That word favor that was so important to her in verse 2 has been fulfilled in verses 10 and 13. Completely embraced. But Boaz... This guy, man, he, you know, he knows who he is. He, know, he, ha, he has not yet said anything to her like, hey, Ruth, yo, yo, I'm a near relative of yours. He doesn't say that at all, does he? She has no idea at this point. Look at what happens then. She continues working and then picking up here in verse 14. At, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here. Have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, wouldn't you love to interview one of those harvesters? Oh, I would like, hey, Jedediah, what was it like that day? Man, was I ticked off. I mean, I can't believe they brought her in here. And then you know what else? She drinks our water. And then at mealtime, we have this roasted barley and wheat. It's so good. And we dip it and we have bread. Oh, it's wonderful. He brought her into that one too. I'm going to look for another job. I, I don't know what he would have said, but you know what I'm saying? You could see somebody thinking those kinds of things, right? Whatever he was thinking, we don't know. But, but, but he goes on and says this, she ate and all, and, and, and all she, she ate all she wanted and she had some left over. Now that's a pretty good deal. That's a lot of food. She ate it all and there was food left over. So she got up to glean. Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Because I mean, like, once you've put those things bundled together, that's not for these people. That's ours. No, no, no. She shows up and she pulls off a couple stalks. Don't you say a word. <laughs> I don't know. I'd love to interview this harvester another day. Okay. But you know what I mean? He's probably like, I can't. Like, what else could go wrong? Well, what else could go wrong is she's going to be with you for seven weeks. That's what could go wrong. Because that's how long the harvest season lasts. Anyway. So she got off to glean. Boaz ordered this. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some of the stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. Which tells me these guys' natural tendency would be to do all those things. Right? 
don't you dare do that to her. Pull the stalk out, oops, and drop it. But uh, no, do it. Okay. <laughs> uh, that, that would be funny to interview one of those guys. Text goes on and says this, verse 17. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to an ephah. We don't know for sure. It's probably about 30 pounds worth. Um, and probably enough to feed two people for almost a week. That's a, that's a pretty good produce for, from one day, Right? She worked hard. This, this woman went from morning to night, worked hard. She beat it. She threshed it, the whole thing. Incredible. And now we're ready for act two. Act one, at the beginning, you had two scared women. Ruth was really scared because she was going out. Naomi was almost like a whatever. But how do you think Naomi felt all day? I mean, she comes back late because of all the work she's doing. You're Naomi. I don't know about you, but like when my kids are out and they say, Dad, I'll be home at 10 from wherever they're going to be. And if it's 10, 15, guess who's pacing? I'm just saying. You shouldn't. You should trust the Lord. I know. I'm just telling you what I do. Uh, you know what I mean? Because I'm thinking like, what's, where are they? What are they doing? Blah, blah, blah. Are they, are they okay? Were they in an accident? You know, all the stuff we parents think. Yeah, we do all those kinds of things. So wouldn't you like to know how Naomi was feeling all day? Well, you get kind of a sense of it when you see the first thing she says. So in the second act, notice verse 18. If I can find, there it is. So she carried it back to town. And her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Can you see her coming back? Well, there's this 30 pounds of grain. She's going like, what? Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten. So, so they get back there and she's going like, she, oh, by the way, there's a lot of leftover food from lunch today. Here you go. And Naomi's thinking, Wow. So look at what she says. Her mother-in-law asked her, verse 19, oh, where, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Somebody actually showed you favor. Who, who was it? She wasn't thinking Boaz either. And I love it because... In this sentence, actually, the le- you have to wait till the very end of the sentence before she finally gives the name. <laughs> then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working, the name of the man I work with today, and you're going to wait in, is Boaz. And Naomi thought, I've been so wrong. I thought God had abandoned me. I thought he didn't care. Don't call me sweetie, call me bitter. There's no hope. We might survive, but we'll never thrive. For the first time in her life, in a long time, the light goes, you can see the glimmer in her eyes. 
You were in Boaz's field. How'd you get there? Oh, well, you know, we don't get all that, but, but I, you know, just kind of was walking around. It looked like a pretty nice field. So I started working there. Hmm. The Lord bless him. It's the same thing that the workers said to Boaz when they first met him, right? He said, the Lord be with you. And they said, the Lord bless you. And Naomi can't help but say the same thing. The Lord bless that guy. You know, everybody's blessing Boaz here. That's good. The Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is, the, he is one of our guardian redeemers. Now, what's interesting there is, when she talks about showing kindness, although there's some debate, most commentators, and I would say rightly so, say that it's referring to God, Yahweh, not to Boaz. And I think it's a much easier read of the Hebrew. I don't think the NIV makes it as clear sometimes, but it seems to me much clearer that way. So what it's saying is, may God, Yahweh, bless him. This God who has extended his, his loyal love, his kindness to us. Isn't that completely opposite of what she said in the last chapter? In the last chapter, no, I'm abandoned. In this chapter, she says, God is kind to me. He has not abandoned me. And Ruth has learned that she is under the wing, protective wing of God. Verse 21. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finished harvesting all the grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Folks, what a story. When you look at characters at the beginning and you compare them to the way they are at the end, it tells you an awful lot about the story. And the only thing that changes is that they see God for who he is as God works in a way that only God can work. What? You know? I mean, here they are. They're still widows. They still got to get through the barley season. And because God has somebody happen to walk to a field at, and at just the right time, Boaz comes to that field. Everything just works out perfect. And you've said that. There's been times when I've said to people, man, I was at the right place at the right time. Right? We've done that. Ruth was at the right place at the right time. Because she wasn't orchestrating it. God was. So what can we say? Our God providentially reveals his covenant, provision, and protection through the kindness of others. But I want to be sensitive 
Because it may be that you're here with us today. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. You've trusted him as Lord and Savior. But you say, my life is flat. It's dark. I feel exactly like Naomi. And you give me this really nice chapter about God doing this circumstantially and that circumstantially and this and this person that. I've experienced none of that. It's just dark. I want you to know something that Ruth and Naomi did not know. They did not know where the story ultimately ended. It ultimately ends in Jesus Christ, doesn't it? And when people say, and when I experience in my own life, those days and weeks sometimes when everything is just dark or flat or whatever, God has this way of turning me back and saying, Finkbeiner, do you realize, do you remember that I sent my son that you could go free? That you could be forgiven of all your sins and he graciously came and he has extended his kindness to you. Because of that, you're saved. Folks, I will never lose that. No matter what I go through, when I can't see God providentially at work, when he always is. But if I can't see it, go back to what you can see. And what you can see is God who is always for you, who has sent his son. God the son has come and lived and died and bled and resurrected for us. The ultimate act of kindness. You will never lose that, no matter what you go through. But secondly, remember that God continues to providentially act out of his covenantal love through the kindness of others. Christian, look around. Sometimes you have to look back, and when you look back, you see the cross, and when you look back, you can see his good hand at work in your life over the last couple weeks and months. Sometimes that's dark too. Sometimes you can look at your present and you can say, oh man, God is doing stuff all over the place. It's just clearly God. Praise the Lord. Sometimes that's dark. But I will say this. If you're a child of God, stay with it. Because God is always the one under whose wings you abide. It doesn't feel very protective right now, Finkbeiner. I know. But you are. And he's with you. And he's always up to something and it's his glory and it's your good. Stay with it. And lastly... Remember that God chooses to use his people to be the conduit through which he shows his kindness. Do you know how many people in this church don't even know how God has used them providentially in the lives of others? You went out here a couple weeks ago, you asked somebody how they were doing, you said you'd pray for them. You shared a little bit with them, and then you hopped in your car and you went home. And that person sat there and probably tears in their eyes, and they said, 
God, thank you for bringing that person into my life. I just so needed those words right now. And you didn't even know it. You were just being kind. You were just saying, Lord, who can I love today? (laughs) Use me to show how much, how kind you are as I express my kindness to others. Use me, God. When you have that attitude, he does things, stuff you'll never know till eternity. In eternity, some guy will come up to you or gal will come to you. Hey, remember when Billy did you did that? Yeah, well, yeah, man, that was a life changer for me. What? I don't know. My stomach was making noises and all. I don't remember saying much. <laughs> Whatever. When we show kindness to others, that's how a sovereign God chooses to providentially work and show his kindness so often. He can do it all kinds of ways. But one of the ways he chooses to do it is through us. Isn't that amazing? All these opportunities. You have Boaz moments more than you possibly realize. And if you're a Ruth or Naomi, stay with it. Because if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know he's kind to you. You've seen his kindness in other areas. He will get you through this one too. Because God is God. Yahweh is our covenant-keeping God who oversees us with his wings and extends his kindness to us. Folks, if you believe that, it'll change the way we live. Father, thank you for these simple stories, these simple true stories these life-changing stories, not because of what people do at the end of the day, but because of who you are through people at the end of the day. Father, we rejoice over seeing just how kind you are. This wasn't luck. It wasn't coincidence. It was your kindness, Lord, for your people. Father, For any person that's with us here today who doesn't know Christ as Lord and Savior, may they come into a covenant relationship with God today. And the only way to do that is to recognize they can do nothing. All we have is our sin. But when we come before you and we ask you to forgive us and change us, you will do that. It's the the wonder of the gospel. Father, do that work in their lives today. And Father, for my brothers and sisters in Christ that are here today, some are under incredible burden, pain. The world is dark. They can't see. It's so easy for us to forget all of the wonderful things you've done for us. For sure in the cross, but again and again in our own lives. Will you remind us that you are a kind God? That you seek the good of your people. May we submit to you and let you work. Father, may we be your conduits through which you express your kindness and goodness to other brothers and sisters in Christ or people in general who need a good word.
a good deed through which they can see God. Lord, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your truth. May your spirit change us through it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So it seems to me to be really appropriate that we uh, come to the Lord's table today. And again, as you know, there's, there's nothing magical in the, in, in the juice or, or the wafer, uh, wafer that you're going to get. You know, it's not like you drink it and do or something like that. Nothing, nothing, nothing like that. What this does is it gives us a moment in the busyness of life where we tend to forget to stop and remember the unchanging, clear, greatest of all acts of kindness, which is Jesus Christ dying for our sins. So we come and we call it a celebration time as we reflect afresh upon the wonder of what he's done at the cross. The God who has done that for us through Jesus Christ is the God who will continue to work in our lives as we learn to submit to him. So the men are going to come at this time and pass out.
Well, this morning as we come to the Lord's table, we hold in our hands the symbols of God's gracious provision through the work of Christ. And I am struck as I think about the text that we looked at this morning, that one of the symbols of Boaz's favor towards an undeserving outsider was the provision of a meal with bread and wine. It's amazing that when we come to the New Testament, that as Jesus seeks to depict for his disciples that he has come to redeem, that he provides them with a meal, central to it are bread and wine. And that is how we know God's favor to us. And as we partake of the Lord's table this morning, the purpose of eating bread and drinking this cup of juice is to proclaim that there is hope in Christ, a redeemer. And so Paul said this, he said, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord Jesus himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. He gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said to the disciples, this is my body, which is given or broken for your benefit, for your favor. And he said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Paul says, in the same way then, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new symbol of God's favor, confirmed in his blood. Do this as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing again the Lord's death, his favor, until he comes again. Father, thank you for the truths and for the pictures of your abundant favor that are pictured for us and the elements that we have received. Let us meditate on them deeply today. And as we sing our closing song, God, let us rejoice. Let us celebrate the favor that you have shown to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can stand with us. Twin. 
sin is absolved and far from me because of what you've done for me through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that we can look to the past, like Pastor Doug said, and see the cross and know that there is a hope in the future. That is not the end. That's the midpoint, Lord. We look forward to your return, God. We thank you that we can join every Sunday in singing your praises and hearing your word. It's encouraging to us to be together spend time together in communication with each other and communion with each other. Now, God, as we go into a world that is desperate, is desperate for truth, is desperate for hope, they will find it anywhere they can find it. And even though it's fleeting, Lord, we know that you are out there working and you have used us and are using us. We ask God you'd use us this week. We thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a nice week.